<laughs> Squeaky. Right, should I... Uh... Oh, we could probably like make use of that in dust, I mean. Oh, no, now it's gone all pathetic. God damn it. The universe is literally, literally conspiring against us, Joanna. I mean, I feel like you're misusing literally. I'm not. I know what literally means and I mean it. <laughs> Have a word. Uh, cool. So today is... Uh, 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 it's Friday auspicious. the 13th. Auspicious? Inauspicious. Or like the opposite of that, yeah. Inauspicious. Disauspicious. In no, it's inauspicious. Unauspicious. Disauspicious is not a, a word. Inauspicious. Asspicious. I'll ask your Phrasing. Yeah, so it's Friday the 13th. It is. Um, it's also the day after the fifth anniversary of Terry Pratchett's death. Yeah. Uh, it's also the day after the end of an era personally for us as our... My husband and our longtime barman has finally has, quit the pub. Has left the pub uh, to his great relief and everybody else's despair. Grief. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Friday, Friday the thirteenth is a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. I decided to have a look into um, just because I didn't actually know why it was unlucky. Um, yeah, I assumed it was just because something to do with thirteen and. Yeah, I mean, yeah, basically, nobody else knows either, which is. Oh, that's cool. The answer to that, yeah. There's there's a lot of what I think is definitely retconning going on. So saying that Friday the 13th is unlucky because uh, the Templars were all fucked up by that French king on Friday the 13th in 1027 or something. Um, and uh, Good Friday oh, was yeah. the 14th. So <laughs> Fair enough. Of, yeah, but um, Friday itself is an unlucky day, apparently, in... Um, a lot of cultures, include, uh, maritime cultures particularly, for some yeah. reason. I'm assuming that is slightly linked to it being the day Jesus died. Like, for some cultures. Yeah, yeah sure. It, I, I imagine it didn't help. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, 13 is unlucky for, again, just varying little reasons that seem to have stacked on top of each other. Like, in the Middle Ages, people started saying it was because of the Last Supper. So if you had 13 people meeting, oh, then yes. one of them was a Judas. The phobia of Friday the 13th is called Frigga Triskai Decaphobia or Paraskevi Decatriophobia. I've heard of Triska Decaphobia before. Uh, that's, yeah, the fear, Which of is the fear of the number 13. Yeah, so basically they added uh, both are pretty recent, like, invented words. Um, yeah. And the last bit, which I thought you'd think was cool, was uh, in the late 1880s, there was a trend for 13 clubs, which were basically one of these, like, posh dinner club things for rich assholes, but... They would all meet up and try and break as many superstitions as possible. That's actually quite cool. Yeah, so like there'd be 13 of them and they would meet on Friday the 13th and they'd have 13 courses and they'd spill salt and smash mirrors and... Oh, fun. Yeah, right? I quite like the idea. And got me thinking like, do you actually... I'm, I'm, I don't mean necessarily like believe with your heart and soul in any superstitions, but do you believe enough to kind of follow any of the... I'm kind of a dickhead about it. Because mm -hmm. it's a bit like, I know, it's so surprising for me to act like a dickhead. <laughs> it's this new thing. No. Um, because, like, I very, very deeply heart and soul believe that all superstition is bollocks. Yeah. And I've read, like, it's to do with the but whole... But you heart and soul believe it. I, I do very deeply <laughs> believe that all superstition is bollocks. And I've read so much about the psychology behind it and the fact that if you feel something unlucky has happened, then you are more likely to notice the negative things. Confirmation bias. Yes, that. Our confirmation favorite. bias. Um so yeah, so I'm I'm not superstitious in the slightest, but mm -hmm. 
I also, while being really, really self-aware, will notice bad things happening if, like, I walk under a ladder or something. And I'm also really sad. And every time it's 11-11, I do make a wish. Oh, crap. Sorry. What was that? So, yeah. What about you? Yeah, cool. I try not to walk under ladders, but I feel like that's common sense as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, when I see magpies, I do give a little salute and go, oh, well, morning, yeah. morning, Miss Magpie. I do salute a sol- solitary magpie. Because, you know. What well, if, it's just nice anyway. What if, he, what if he misses the old respect he used to get, you know? Exactly, yeah. No, I will always salute a solitary magpie. But that's also because I really, really, really like corvids and magpies are kind of a Newcastle thing. Are they? Well, because the football strips black and white. Ah, nice, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Magpies are a bit of a thing. Yeah, something, something. Geordie joke. Toon <laughs> army. <laughs> yeah. I'm on the toon. Huh? I don't know. I'm saying Geordie things now. Cool, cool, cool. I, oh, I, toon, I, like town. Yeah. Nice, yeah. I can't I can't <laughs> ever do, despite the fact that like my family is, well, half my family is from there, I can never do the accent intentionally. I will start doing it unwillingly if I am drunk and around northerners, as you have seen me do at festivals. I have, yeah. It's... um you know fairly offensive if you don't know what's going on <laughs> yes no it does just seem like i'm mocking the people around me no i don't want to talk about don't want to talk about how the chiropractor died no. it's not going to cheer me up at all i mean it is quite depressing should i do my follow-up from last week then yeah oh yeah do that yeah yeah, yeah. so follow up um so last week I mentioned that I know how to play Don't Fear the Reaper on the ukulele. You did, and I left it in out of spite. I know, you're a dickhead. <laughs> I want to point out that I was exaggerating. I haven't played the ukulele for six months. It's not as easy as I remember, and I can't remember how to play the riff. But I'm going to attempt the follow-up anyway. You are so committed to the cause. Yeah, no, not sure so what I, the cause is, nor that you should be committed to it. So I worked this out in like a day, and I don't like playing the ukulele in front of people. So uh, you, get your strings out for the lads. Get your ukes out for the lads. Yeah, get your twangs out. Oh, oh no. And then we can all start playing with our twangers. Oh dear. Oh no. Look, should, should we just make a podcast? I wanted to do the Dirty Rainbow episode, but fine, let's make a podcast. <laughs> Signs have come here, but now they're gone. Seasons don't fear the reaper, nor do the sun and the wind and the rain. We can be like they are. Come on, baby, don't fear the reaper. Take my hand. Fear the reaper, we'll be able to fly Fear the reaper, baby, I'm your man Hello. Hi. I'm 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 trying to not be too enthusiastic because I make the thing go, the waveforms go silly. You can be enthusiastic quietly. I don't know how to do that. Hi. Hi. Oh no, that's much worse. No, That was appalling. Hello and well, (laughs) for fuck's sake. (laughs) We can do this, Francine. I've done this before and I'll do it again. All right. Hello and welcome to The Truth Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we're reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time, in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen-Young. And I'm Francine Carroll. And today is part two of our discussion of Mort, the fourth Discworld novel. So uh, section two goes in my paperback from page 75. Mort saying, by myself, and Death responding, certainly, I have every faith in you. And runs to 
page 179 in my paperback with Death saying, I must be sickening for something. Uh, note on spoilers. This is a spoiler light podcast. Obviously heavy, heavy spoilers for the book we're discussing, Mort. Uh, but we are going to try and avoid spoiling any future events and major stuff from the rest of the books. And we are saving any and all discussion of the final book, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. So you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Assuming we're not all dead from the upcoming cataclysm. Or the global pandemic. I was putting the two under the same umbrella. No, fair enough. Global pandemic leading to complete cataclysm. But we will all go together when we go. <laughs> I was listening to that the other day. I was listening to that in the kitchen today. I put my apocalypse playlist on. Oh, can I uh, peep at that? Because I'm having a hard time putting one together. And yeah, I need to better. take some off mine because for some reason I put loads of Marilyn Manson on it. Sometimes it's just like it's a reflection of the mood you're in when you made a playlist and you have to go back and seriously edit. Yeah, I made it when Trump got elected, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Super emo day. Also, I put Bruce Springsteen on there for some reason. Which one? Born to Run. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a weird time for us all. <laughs> I think I just listened to um, The End of the World as We Know It on repeat for three days. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's on there like five times. <laughs> I might go back through it, re-edit it, make it a Spotify playlist and uh, link to it in the show notes for our dear listeners. Oh, please do, yeah. And I'll add any that you've missed. Mm. Um, cool, right. Uh, podcasty podcast. Francine, mm. would you like to tell us happened previously in Mort? I would like to tell us happened previously. Russell. Excellent sentences. Russell Foley. <clears throat> previously on Mort. Did that sound sonorous and... Yes, you sounded like a coffin door slamming. Good, excellent. Death takes on an apprentice, an aptly named boy whose talents, as yet undiscovered, might lie beyond the mortal veil. A makeover montage in the City of Sin tuckers out poor Mort, who wakes up in a house with a somewhat inky ambiance. In short order, our hero meets the amiable Albert and icy Isabel, shovels shit, flouts philosophy, pops to a party, kills a king, peeps a princess, and settles into the pedestrian procedures befitting the apprentice to an anthropomorphic personification of snuffing it. Jesus. When he's granted a half-day, our hero uses it unwisely, nearly getting shanked in the shades and then galloping off to meet a girl he's never spoken to. And uh, he still doesn't. After a brief run-in with a not-yet-worldly-wise wizard, Mort gets news from the boss. He's to have a go at the duty and try a jelly deal, if he fancies one. Um, so yeah, basically, he's just about to start... He's going to have a go um, at the duty on his own. Hitting people time. with a scythe. Bless him. Well, hopefully he doesn't hit them. I'm not really sure how all this works. Well, it's sort of described as like a thread, isn't it? Gets a bit it? metaphysical. Around the ears. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it when I get metaphysical around the ears. Ow. Sorry. You all right? My hands are a mess. Like, oh, yeah. to the point where they crack so much they're bleeding. COVID-19 has ruined our hands, listeners, which I suppose is better than our lungs, but still. Yes, but washing my hands every two minutes is starting to feel a bit sore. Right, so in this section... Sorry, let me have a squig. A squig. A squig. A squig of... Squoke. Right, so in this section of the book... Um, Yes, we start with Death asking Mort to cover the duty solo because he fancies a nice off, cheeky bastard. Right? Yep. Uh, Ignatius Cutwell, our beloved wizard, in the background, jumps into the water trough because he's accidentally had some uh, a very interesting and exciting tincture. Beloved's a strong word, but I'll go with it. I'm trying to be enthusiastic. Okay. Uh, so Mort goes off to <laughs> reap the witch Goody Hamstring before heading to the listening monks to oversee the abbot's passing, learning about reincarnation in the process. We pop in on Princess Kelly, who happens to be the third hourglass Mort has been given for the evening. Mort decides to save her life. Silly Mort. Mm. He pops back to Death's Domain and looks for Kelly's biography, realises that by saving Kelly, he's somewhat fucked it. 
Just in somewhat general. fucked it. Somewhat fucked it because actually the world would have been a very good place and there would have been lots of United Kingdoms and so forth. Um, he hears Sounds a gasp. list to me, Joanna. Oh, for fuck's sake, can't see <laughs> One day I'll get through a summary <laughs> without being accused of colonialism. <laughs> I doubt that. While Mort is in the library reading Kelly's autobiography, not autobiography, just biography. No, it is an autobiography. I mean, she's not writing it. They're right. It's writing itself automatically. All right, fine. Autobiography. <laughs> he hears a gasp and uh, finds a handkerchief. Albert asks Mort to spend less time ogling the biographies of young dead women. The universe hasn't noticed that Kelly hasn't died. She suffers grossness from a vile door knocker as she goes to visit Cutwell the Wizard. After a bit of fortune telling, she appoints him the royal recogniser. Mort fails to confess his mistake to death, who's taking another night off. Lazy. He covers for Isabel, who's been reading books about tragic young women in the library, and they go for a picnic together. After going out and doing the duty, Mort goes for a pint. Sorry, my neck. <laughs> Struggle there. <laughs> it's because it's changed a point on some autocorrect. Oh, right. <laughs> He's just trying to go stuff it there. Mort goes, goes for a point. point. <laughs> After covering the duty for death for the evening, Mort goes for a point, witnesses a historical event horizon and walks through a few more walls. While fly fishing, death saves a life for later. Mort pops back in on Kelly, ends up having a lovely exposition chat with Cutwell. Death goes to a party and is introduced to the concept of a conga before joining a card game. Mort tries to talk to Princess Kelly and find a way to save her. Death goes to the pub. Mort and Isabel go hunting Albert's biography because Mort needs some big magic and he reckons Albert's the place for it. And Death realises that he's sickening for something and may not want to be Death. Oh, poor Death. Sad Death. Poor sad death. It is. Terry Pratchett makes it remarkably easy to feel empathy for a walking skeleton holding a very sharp scythe. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how he does that. And by the end of the book, I mean, not a huge spoiler to say he kind of makes you, he rips the empathy from you again. Yeah, I think we're allowed to spoil all of this book. We are, but I'm still trying to. Oh, yeah, just in case people are doing what I'm doing. And reading a third at a time. Like a twat, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and you, listener, and you, like a twat. <laughs> Calling our listeners twats, Francine. <laughs> I don't see why not. It's my bloody microphone. I'm very tired. I just wanted a snack and an albatross. And a castle. <laughs> Was that too much to ask? I just want a castle. I wanted more than five hours sleep and a snack. That would have done it. Yeah, I haven't really eaten. Actually, I, ate, I had fish and chips for dinner, so. Oh, I'm nice. actually over full, if anything. I'm not sure that helped. I should have tried to run on empty and then that would have kept the hysteria up. Yeah, but yeah. possibly I would have crashed two thirds of the way through the podcast, and you'd have had to like operate a, amusingly like a operate me as a ventriloquist dummy, <laughs> which, which would, be, would really... be so pointless for a yeah. radio. I was going to say that you doesn't really just, work in a non-visual context. You could context. pretend to be me. I don't. Can know you do I... an impression of me vocally? I mean, I can try, but I don't think our voices are that like. Yeah, no, I just sound like me. I can do a very good Theresa May. A very good Theresa May, which sounds right, just, a little bit like that little girl from the radio who screams and screams until she's sick. I will squeam and I'll squeam and I'll squeam until I'm thick. <laughs> now give me the election. <laughs> <laughs> give me 10 Downing Street. Oh no, Boris Johnson. Yes, yeah, just for a change, Francine and I are completely exhausted by the state of British politics. I mean, I went through a pretty good phase of not being, just by dint of completely ignoring it, but that's becoming more and more difficult with the concept of we might die yeah we might you know have to read the news a bit more often and because of that i'm learning things like food banks are running out of donations and yep. that's a really big issue because we don't fucking feed the poor on a systemic level 
Yeah. Is right. capitalism the villain again, Joanna? What? <laughs> capitalism? <laughs> a I, villain? I took, uh, did I send you? No, I didn't because I've accidentally added your husband to a group chat instead of you. Um, I've, been, I've been on political compass memes on Reddit. Oh, you did send me that on Facebook. Uh, oh, I did, yeah. Um, I, I, I like ended up super left lib. Right. Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling it's going to change depending on what kind of mood I'm in. Like, I feel like if I took the political compass test now, I would be far more authoritarian because I'm in a terrible mood and don't trust anyone. Yeah, no, that's fair. Like, I always, I'm always to the left, but I definitely kind of go up and down between lib and authoritarian depending yeah, yeah. on... Uh, it's just a jump to the left and then a step to the no. <laughs> All right, next next election. Which Interrupting if, uh... socialist. <laughs> Mood. Like interrupting starfish, but somehow even more obnoxious. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, where are we? Okay, so there weren't any... Oh, like, that actually comes up in the book as well, doesn't it? The, um, the one being executed who calls more a lackey of the monarchist regime. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, no helicopters or loincloths in Shocking, this nobody. section. Keeping the bit. Okay. Keeping I mean, the bit. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I'll do mine first. His mouth opened and shut. Mort wanted to say, Thirdly, you're so beautiful, or at least very attractive, or anyway, far more attractive than any other girl I've ever met. Although, admittedly, I haven't met many. From this, it will seem that Mort's innate honesty will never make him a poet. If Mort ever compared a girl to a summer's day, it would be followed by a thoughtful explanation of what day he had in mind, whether it was raining at the time. In the circumstances, it was just as well he couldn't find his voice. Uh, because I like a cheeky Shakespeare reference, and I think it's another really nice, like, yeah, this is Mort's character. He cannot do poetic because he gets distracted by reality too easily. Yeah, definitely. He's slightly too literal. He's like half of these teenage dudes who post on relationship advice forums, like... You know, I just said the truth. Like, I just, I was just honest. I just said exactly what was in my head. Why was that offensive? Yeah, <laughs> like, your inner monologue does not, believe it or not, have to be completely broadcast to everybody around you. But I know it's something I've had to say specifically to men a lot. Not not teenage boys. The boys I work with are generally quite nice or like, if they say mean things, it's in a very friendly, spirited <laughs> yeah. way because we have that relationship. But men I know, men in their 30s and 40s, where they all sort of say something and it's like, like a, they'll comment that my makeup's gone a bit tits up or that a dress I'm wearing doesn't really suit me. And it's like, hmm. you could also have just not said that and the world would have continued. Oh, I'm just being honest. It's like, no, that's fine. But I, there's a world of, there's a whole spectrum of possibilities between saying everything and lying. Yeah. Um, the best of which is not Shutting talking. the fuck yeah. up. <laughs> But yes, people don't seem to understand. But what Mort does, Mort manages to keep all of that in his head because he's too tongue-tied to speak. But Yeah, yeah. But he does seem to also be learning a few social graces. Like, is it that scene he realises that she's more angry than she would have been because it's obvious she has been crying and she knows that? Yeah, he starts picking up on these things. Yeah. And, also, and things like he uh, kind of lies for Isabel and doesn't yeah. rat her out and say, no, I wasn't the one reading... Young yeah. women's biographies. It was her. Yeah, he's definitely gone from kid to young man in the. He does grow up quite well. Space of a not very many pages. Yeah, but it's a nice. It doesn't bother me like it would in some books where mm. I'd go, oh, but they've done all this character development without doing it. Like it works here because the it works with the pace of the book. Yeah, and with the gravity of what he's been doing in the 
But also it shows how quickly someone can change into that kind of person when they're just given the right kind of responsibility. Yeah. The moment death says, right, I trust you, you can do this. He, I mean, he fucks up. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he flourishes into that kind of person. It's like, oh, that potential was there all along. It just mm. needed the right person giving him the right option. Yeah. And like even before that, he's gone from a almost complete rural isolation to suddenly learning a lot about all kinds of people in the world. And yes, he gets to suddenly ha- have be very cosmopolitan. Yeah, meeting a lot of people briefly, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I like that bit. Mm. What was your favourite quote? My favourite quote was from death. So this is when he, uh, as you said, has learning the conga, or as it's called, uh, something else entirely. The serpent dance. Yeah. Mind the cream there, it's slippery. L- look, it's just a dance, all right. You do it for fun. Fun. That's right. Da 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 kick. There was an audible pause. Who is this fun? No, fun isn't anybody. Fun is what you have. We are having fun. I thought I was, said his lordship. What is this fun? This is to kick vigorously is fun. Well, part of the fun, kick. To hear loud music in hot rooms is fun. Possibly. Uh, how is this fun manifest? Well, it, look, either you're having fun or you're not. You don't have to ask me. You just know, all right? How did you get in here anyway? So, yeah, I just... Uh, to kick vigorously is fun. I just, yes, I, I, like, I like unexplainable things being explained in frank terms. Mm. It's something I like with the Pratchetty things. He sort of holds a mirror up to something and goes, well, isn't this actually a bit ridiculous? Yeah. And also, how does one explain fun? Yes, and a conga. Because the moment <laughs> someone declares that something will be fun, it will become the worst thing in the world, like organised fun. Yeah, like New Year's Eve. Yeah, any kind of workplace, like like a staff party or something. Yeah. Hell. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Next bit. Happy thoughts. So, characters, uh, you already mentioned you really liked her name, but Ameline Hamstring. Yes, I do like her name. It's a good name. But what I like about her is something that I talk about a lot when we talk about these books and there's good women, is is the sort of very, very straightforward bustling efficiency. Yeah. The way she sort of very casually, oh, I'm just writing a note and I've left the hay out for the horse and there's a drink if you want it. And yes. Do you think I'll need a shawl? But her transition as well as she passes away and becomes the woman... Super duper sexy. Yeah, that she wants to be. Um, the the kiss as insubstantial as a mayfly sigh, uh, fading as she did until only the kiss was left, like a Cheshire cat, only much more erotic. Doesn't that sound like Louise Renison? Yeah, so much so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, especially as I've just been reading all of them. Yeah. Do you know where the whole goody thing comes from? Because she's described, she's Ameline Hamstring, but she's also described as goody hamstring. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, should we try and look that up before the next witches? Yes, we should. We are introduced to the concept of the listening monks for the first time, mm. uh, which I think now would be a really good time to have a word from our sponsor, don't you, Francine? Oh, yes. Tell me about something you like. That Francine, I don't know about you, but I'm often incredibly stressed about the innate nature of the universe. Right? You do know about me, I tell you at length. Not knowing how, when or why the universe has started has affected my sleep, my eating habits and even my personal relationships. Luckily, I've had the opportunity to change all of that and put my mind at ease. After a wellness retreat with the listening monks, I'm relaxed, happy and fully at peace with my place in the great cosmos. The listening monks offer quiet, reflection and endless rounds of coin tossing. 
On my listening monk's wellness retreat, I was given time to meditate on the sound of a slice of buttered toast falling to the ground, and they even throw in a marvellous breakfast package of slightly dusty toast. So if you, dear listener, are looking to get away from it all and asculate the meaning of life, sign up for your very own owl retreat today and use code TRUTHFRET for 10% off your wellness package. Oh, thank you very much, Diana. That sounds terribly, terribly loud. Or quiet, I'm not sure. I just really like it as a concept and the idea of uh, this whole valley where you can hear, or, or like a particularly, well, uh, a valley with particularly good acoustics. Mm. And the idea of, okay, well, this is as good a way as any to figure out how creation works is by listening. And the gods not interfering because they're kind of curious as well. I mean, I'm. this is probably because I'm a theatre nerd, but I get really excited when I go into any space that has good acoustics and immediately start delivering a speech or something because it's just really fun. Mm. We're having a bunch of rev- renovation work done at the place I work at the moment because there was like this huge empty bingo hall space that's being turned into new screens. Cool, cool. So I kept getting to go in a couple of times while it was empty. Obviously, I shouldn't have, I should have had a hard hat on. Um, but the acoustics in there were amazing. It was like, oh, I'm just going to quickly deliver a speech from Macbeth because it's mm-hmm. oddly satisfying. Yeah. And also shows that I definitely need to get out more <laughs> somewhat. So yeah, listening monks. And the fact that reincarnation exists. Yeah. For those who are kind of... It's not even so much he believes in it. It's just very much happening for him. And really, he's quite bored of the whole thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I like... Actually, no, I don't. I really fucking hate the idea of reincarnating over and over again, but only being aware of it in that tiny minute between. Yeah, no. That's really quite a horrendous thought. Have you read The First 15 Lives of Harry August? No, that one's been recommended so to me good. by oh, so many so, people. So, so good. Oh, it looks really good. Genius. So yeah, so I thought that was interesting. But yeah, I would I would hate to be reincarnated but not be aware of it while I was alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get to spend a bit more time with Princess Kelly than we did in the last book. She actually gets a name. Yeah, that's nice for her. It almost feels like the book is trying to make me dislike her, but I do really like her. I'm not sure that it is because I think despite her tendencies that have been drummed into her she's kind of acting against them well yeah i mean maybe it's not it's trying to make me dislike her but she's it's a weird one because you've got two female protagonists who are very different but the idea of both of them is that they're quite bitchy yeah and then things work out so yeah maybe it's not so much it's it's trying to make me dislike her Mm. but she's not automatically the most sympathetic of characters despite the fact she's kind of dying and the only real reason Mort cares so much is he saw her once and thought she was kind of pretty. Yeah. Which is a very weird thing for the entire book to hang on. But also he's That's a teenage, teenage boy. boy yeah. <laughs> but I do really like her sort of aggressive competence again mm. of just sort of, there's a dead assassin in my bedroom. Could you please have something done about it? Yes. And it's, I, I love the <laughs> kind of... Don't say assassin, ma'am, or dead, ma'am. Do just something do about it. it. I've got a headache. <laughs> but I like her determination to defy... Mm-hmm. reality around her she's yeah. like well no i'm going to it's but not going to you'd, you'd have to wouldn't you i mean you're not going to go oh all right then yeah i'll just yeah fade yeah <laughs> um we're also introduced to albert's porridge which i feel yeah i like des- you've noted him as a as a him sorry look i've gendered him already i like that you've noted the porridge as a person well it's not so much i've noted it as a person but i feel like it does deserve its own note it certainly uh, has character. Well, it's described as it led a private life of its own in the depths of its saucepan and ate spoons. Yeah. I mean, that sentence also made me really want porridge. I haven't had porridge in forever. There's another one which isn't actually a relevant character at all. I just really liked that this exists. 
which is when Kelly is uh, trying to eat lunch and very frustrated that everyone's ignoring her because she's technically dead. Um, and uh, there is someone described as the lady of the small hexagonal room in the north turret, which yeah. is an excellent title. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's like a, a title you can aspire to. Yeah, I mean, that is now the title. I re- Now I'm going to have to marry the lord of the small hexagonal room in the north turret. Fuck off, are you? You can get your own turret. Come on, Joanna. <laughs> Fucking feminism. I know, but like just marrying someone would be so much easier. Uh, we spend a bit more time with Cutwell mm. in this section, but I don't really have a lot to say about him. Like he's, I don't dislike him as a character. I don't particularly, he's a bit meh. Yeah, he's cool. He's there. Whatever. He, he comes into his own in the third section of the book, I mm. think, when he starts actually moving and having ideas and trying to make stuff work. I've got to say, I'm actually a little confused by him um, and his reactions because... When Mort first turns up and Cutwell's like, oh my God, you're here, something terrible's going to happen, blah, 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 and is a little bit hysterical about the whole thing. Mm. But then by the end of their little run across town and conversation, he's all like, yeah, but you know, I'll just go back to where I was a week before and isn't too fast. Like, he he hasn't really got a very consistent... Um, yeah, he's a bit all over the place. He feels a bit underdeveloped and we don't... It feels like he's just sort of there as a plot device more than a character. Yeah, which, fair enough. Yeah. At least he was developed enough to be amusing. Yes, he is still quite entertaining. Um, Obviously, checking back in with characters we've already met, but Mm -hmm. Death in this section, I think, is very sweet. He's looking for fun and he's lonely, and the time he spends in the pub, especially near the end of this section... I sort of... I do want to give him a hug. Like, it's what you were saying. Like, it's amazing how much this book makes you empathise with a talking skeleton. Yeah. (laughs) But it's also, he's, you know, he's looking for a hobby. He's thinking about fly fishing, which was a lovely thing I saw, actually. So we were saying uh, yesterday was the fifth anniversary of, of Terry Pratchett passing away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Discworld Emporium tweeted, someone made a replica of the Death's Glory fly and they've attached it to the hat in the shop. Ew. No, it looks really cool. Like, okay. it just looks like a really funky goth fishing fly. All right. Okay, cool. I'll have a look. It does look genuinely really cool. But also through all of this, he's pushing Mort and Isabel together. Mm-hmm. And doing this sort of kindly uncle, oh, go off, have a picnic together. Yeah, but like in a and it's almost like cute way, not a yeah, it's way. cute. Yeah. Well, it's cute rather it's than like gross. It's like he's trying to do an approximation of a trope he's seen on telly, but not because it's Discworld, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but he's he's doing an approximation of things he's seen because he's trying to act very human. Yeah, um, which we get really nice insight to. Um, and Isabel's talking about him. Um, He's saying he never feels anything. I don't mean that nastily. It's just that he's got nothing to fill with, no glands. He probably thought sorry for me. Mm. And she's so defensive of him. Um, well, he's been her dad for a lot longer than her dad was her dad. Exactly. Um, but, she, she, you know, she really cares about him. And I think he does care in his way. It's just his way is Through glandless. rather than hormone. Yeah. Which I think is quite an interesting thing to take into the book, considering how much she sort of longs for a bit of being more human yeah can you logic yourself into caring about something yeah which apparently he, you can if yeah you which he does yeah that's interesting actually isn't it it's um hmm but it's also him po- pushing Mort and isabel together it's almost like he's trying to give them something he can't have yeah he sort of can see that they might need something else yeah that's nice so yes, I thought that was very sweet. I do like death. That sounds like a, such a millennial thing to say, but I mean it in a purely anthropomorphic... Personification. Uh, appreciation way. Anthropomorphic yeah. personification appreciation society. You want to start one? Yeah, go on. <laughs> Can we finish the podcast, though? Oh, yeah, sure. Cool. I guess. We spend a bit more time with Isabel. 
um, who has, this is, it's in this section we find out that she's been 16 for 35 years. Can you imagine? But it's because she, obviously, for the book, she needs to be 16. She needs to act like a teenager. Mm -hmm. But would you, if you would, if I was trapped in the same body for 35 years, I wouldn't stop maturing. Well, to an extent you would, because things like hormonal balance and brain development haven't nearly finished by the time you're 16. I suppose. But you would be incapable of thinking as rationally and like risk aversely as you do now but she's also had basically no social like so because obviously we meet isabel in the light fantastic briefly oh yeah uh when death when rinse and she's so desperate for them to stay and doesn't yeah. want them to leave and she's so starved for human contact mm. and obviously in in light fantastic she's kind of a throwaway yeah joke in a scary bit and then she's developed here but she's so miserable yeah and so starved of human contact and like I, I like Isabel, I think she's a really interesting character, but mm. I think there wasn't as much thought put into it as there is when characters are going through horrific things in later books of just how dark and twisted and horrifying that is that she was kept by this anthropomorphic personification and then kept forced to stay 16 for 35 mm. years with almost no human contact. Like, that's horrific. Yeah. It's like a weird form of torture. I feel as though if... If she had been suffering as much as most people would, then either Albert or Death would have put a stop to it, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I'm not... But I wonder what makes her capable of bearing it more than... Than other people would be yeah. able to. But I also think some of it's just a choice of, oh, it's interesting to say she's been yeah. here for 35 yeah, yeah, years true, and she's yeah. 16. And it, you thought about it a bit more, you'd be like, oh, actually, maybe I should make it like five years or 10. Yeah. Because also, if she's been 16 for 35 years, then she's technically 51. There's actually quite a big age gap between her and Mort. Right, but not because... I mean, not physically, Magic. <laughs> no, because and magic. generally and age gaps have a problem because of the life experience gap, which is not a problem here. No, because although she's been alive for a lot longer, she hasn't actually had any life experience. Yeah. Because, again, kind of being tortured. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Obviously, we hang out with Mort throughout the character. I like the idea of manifesting teen embarrassment as walking through walls as he becomes embarrassingly real yeah <laughs> yeah because when you are suddenly very aware of your own body it is it does feel a bit like that doesn't it like um accidentally walking through walls and just, yeah just not being at all aware of what your limbs are doing at any time but then becoming very aware of it and everyone's looking at you all the time surely yeah and... it's like you develop enough spatial awareness to know where all of your limbs are but not enough to control them yeah yeah <laughs> Especially if, like, because you, no offence, but you were quite lanky as a teenager. Yeah, yeah, no. I was less so. I had sort of more of a circumference. But so mine was more I'd knock things over with my arse a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas you were sort of a lot of elbow and knee. Um, And then, yeah, we find out a little bit more about Albus in this section. Mm. Alberto. Um, Alberto Malik, <sighs> who Mort spots in a book and finds out that he, uh, apparently this wizard Alberto Malik blew himself into the dungeon dimensions while trying to perform the Rite of Ashkent backwards. Mm. So we know the Rite of Ashkent, we know from Light Fantastic that that's the ritual used to summon death. Mm -hmm. So you summoned yourself to death by saying it backwards? I'm assuming that's how Albert ended up in whatever kind of deal he now has with death involves him doing the Rite of Ashkent backwards. I guess it must be a combination of him doing that and being a really good wizard, though, because there's no way in hell another wizard didn't try that sometime in 2,000 years. Yeah, Even if they knew perfectly well it would end badly, because, you know, wizards. Well, I think 
it's more likely like I, I am completely filling in headcanon here mm-hmm. this isn't I don't I can't remember now if this gets explained in more detail in later books like how the arrangement comes about between Albert and death but I'm assuming the right of Ashkent backwards got him to death yeah and then there was some kind of fight or deal that then led to the arrangement as it exists yeah yeah because obviously he was looking for some kind of immortality and you said we kind of go to Leshp yeah we do kind of go to Leshp it is when Mort is in the pub. Ah. Uh, it says, In the sudden hush of the inn, the faint clink of the coin sounded like the legendary brass gongs of Leshp, which can be heard far out to sea on stormy nights as the currents stir them in their drowned towers 300 the fathoms below. Ah. So not only do we go to Leshp, but it is uh, consistent with Leshp as it appears later on. Yes. So this as is... in underwater. Yes. So this is a sunken city of sorts that we will eventually... Yeah, quite a while from now, revisit. Yeah, but I like the fact that, yeah, practically that it's established either on. remembered or had it written down or whatever. That, uh... Oh, wait, no, I've done a drowned city. Um, we go back to Kroll, yeah. where we spent some time during the colour of magic. But this time we're not in... No one's getting sacrificed. It's not as traumatising this time. It's fairly chilled out, um, but this is edge of the world and a lovely fisherman. Mm-hmm. And Death goes and hangs out with him before he saves his life. We it was a very pleasant way to describe like a really bitter man nearly drowning. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to focus on that bit too much because honestly, it's so depressing and we're really tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guy who was I just... liked his name too. Teptic, Teptic Mims. I'm going to start keeping a list of my favourite uh, minor or non-repeating characters' names. So from this one, I've got Ameline Hamstring, Igneous Cutwell and Teptic Mims. Excellent. Um, but yeah, moving on to something happier, like we go, we have the conga. The conga takes yes. place at the patricians' party. Hooray! So we da, still da, haven't, da, da, da. Da, which again, da, da, da. not really in keeping with the patrician we will eventually get to know and love. I don't know. Do you I not think he, he probably, would? I think he would probably host the parties. I don't think he would be getting drunk. Probably not. I think not. he would be sitting at a table of honor, very carefully watching how everyone else interacted. Well, yes, okay, you make a good point. Or like standing very still and blending into the foreground. Also entirely possible. <laughs> I'm looking forward to meeting him. Mm. We've, I think we've only got a couple books to go before we get to hang out with him. Moving on. Mm. Sorry, not talking about future books. Moving swiftly onwards to, to the, the drum. Pub. We've gone to the drum. To the pub, to the pub, to the pub, pub, pub. To the pub, to the pub, to the pub, pub, pub. The mended drum at the moment. Yes. And we meet very specifically the drum's shelf of weird spirits that literally every pub has. Mm. So little bits we like. Mm. Albert reminiscing about the good old days of wimples then balaclava helmet things. <laughs> I just, because I know lots of sad old men, but you always hear these reminiscences about the good old days and things mm. were better then and we had real kings and real record shops and... Wimples. Wimples. <laughs> Fucking wimples. I want a wimple. Women were in shorter or longer skirts, depending on which men you're talking to. And what the economy was doing at the time. Good economy short skirts or the other way around? So 60s was boom and that was short skirts. So yeah, I think it's like... And 20s as well. Skirts got shorter post-World War One. Yeah. Obviously then there was the Depression in the 30s and the skirts got longer again. Which is weird because you'd think like more... More material. Because the money finances. Yeah, but I think it's more... Um, I'm feeling confident enough about my ability to pay rent that I can show my knees off. Yeah. And well, yeah. stuff, weird stuff to do with social mores and judgment as well. Yeah, I guess people are just 
more judgy in times of hardship. I bet that's true, actually. Yeah, um, because they're sort of trying to cling desperately to whatever they can, like a life raft. Yeah. Like skirts. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> right, this metaphor's gotten weird. It's all about the long skirts. No, wait, 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 wait. Something about clinging to skirts, like clinging to a mother's mother skirt. skirt let's get freud let's get freudian in this bitch <laughs> <laughs> let's not so i had a dream about baby goats the night before last what does that mean joe uh that you want to have sex with freud's mother i mean yes but are you sure that's related <laughs> ah, they're so cute <laughs> I love baby goats so much, especially the dickhead ones that just jump on you. Oh my God, you know what we should do? No. We should go to the zoo where they have the petting bit where you can go in and feed the baby goats. Yes, there might be a farm that lets us do that without having to go all the way to Bannon. But yes, let's go see some goats. Um, I, I tried not to just be like, oh, footnote for every footnote, but also every footnote was really funny and I like the pizza one. I like the footnotes very much, so I'm happy with this. Yes. Um, but this is the idea that uh, a Clatchian mystic invented the pizza and claimed to have been given it in a dream by the creator of the Discworld himself, who had apparently added that it was what he had intended all along. Did um, you know that the Ferrero Rocher came to uh, the creator in a dream about God's creation? <laughs> Prove me wrong without your phone on you. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Fuck, I can't. Right, yeah. <laughs> Rocher were actually pretty difficult to uh, engineer though because uh, spherical wafers apparently not not an intuitive thing to create you can ask Jack about that he'll tell you at length I don't I don't do it often enough but I do really enjoy making my own pizza now yeah I can make pizza and it's really fucking easy therefore because I can't bake for shit I can make bread but, yeah but I could make pizza before I could make normal bread yeah I mean it's, it's you don't it... even need to let it rise like I do tend to let it rise if I've allowed for the time for it but as you're going to roll it as flat as possible anyway. Yeah, right. I haven't quite become one of those wankers with a pizza stone yet, but I feel like it's in my future. I really like like a really crispy base on my pizza. Not a buttery biscuit base. Base, base, biscuit base, buttery biscuit base. I like the base, base, like the buttery base, like the buttery, buttery biscuit, biscuit base. <laughs> Hard. Wobble, 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 wobble. Oh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Like I'm the jugly eggs. Jugly eggs. Do you, had you eggs. heard that before? No, I've never heard that. Um, yeah, it was uh, explained in here that jugly eggs is like the kind of half-cooked, so you still got a bit of wobbly snotty white eggs. bits in it. Yeah, yeah. so wobble, yeah. wobble. Snotty eggs is called jugly eggs. I've never heard that phrase used. No, me neither. I don't know if that's a real thing or if that was made up for the book. It could have used That's a weird thing to make up halfway through a breakfast scene, but I mean, it is practice. Jugly. Jugly. <laughs> I always wondered How do you like your eggs? Jugly. <laughs> Get out. Um, Crosscut. Crosscut. Well, because as we've talked about, talked through the books, I was saying like, oh, I'd film this scene like this. I'd mm -hmm. do this like this. It was quite nice that Pratchett had done my job for me. And uh, yeah, read it out. You're a wizard. I think there's something you ought to know, said the princess. There is, said Death. There we go. Nice. Uh, which, Seamless. This is a cinematic trick adapted for print. Death wasn't actually talking to the princess. He was actually in his study talking to Mort. But it was quite effective, wasn't it? It was. And it is called a crosscut. Oh, it is. Because um, obviously he's not sure in the book. And points out that sec senior technician is called a best boy. The film industry is ridiculous. And I'm not just saying that because no one's given me a job yet. <laughs> no, it just, it made me giggle. And you made a note about a show we like that does it. Oh, Archer, man. I've, I've binge watched basically all of that in the last month, which, by the way, terrible. And why I keep saying, I mean, and trailing off. Uh, but, but yeah, like through the whole 10 seasons. 
Yeah. He does the... Uh... I do. I like it as a thing, though. I like it a lot, yeah. Um, but it is just when you watch it all at once, it becomes so, so, so... Yeah. Um, the next point is yours. Oh, yeah, no, it's just nice um, when Mort is kind of talking to himself at length. Uh, he goes, she's only met you once, you fool. Why should she bother about you? Yes, but I did save her life. That means it belongs to her, not to you. Oh, that's a nice line. Yeah, just um, I like how Mort kind of almost goes down a lot of these terrible teenage male... Uh, feeling entitled to the princess's yeah, and attention and just or... catches himself every time yeah which kind of I guess ties in with the fact he doesn't really act on impulse very often as in like he's the kind of guy who thinks about how to scare birds yeah it works <laughs> it's very good for his character it also yeah. made me think a bit of and this is something we'll talk about way more in later books but uh, the whole idea of first thoughts and second thoughts and third mm. thoughts like the first thing that comes into your head is almost what you've been conditioned to you think and then the second thought is uh, yeah you actually dealing with that and thinking about what that really means yeah um so yeah uh, we're now at talking points yeah so this is something I've, I've alluded to a lot but it's something i think this particular section of this book does so well the calm competence of the women that pratchett writes mm-hmm. and not just i mean so i already said about hamstring and how she's very ready to die and has been very organized and you've got kelly who's very right well i'll look for a weapon then yeah oh could you just Get rid of the assassin for me, dear. Yeah. And she sort of goes, right, something is wrong. Nothing's... I will Wizards. go down to a wizard. I'll get it sorted. Yeah. And it's something I like. I mean, also, this is just the sort of woman I'm really into. Maybe that's why I like it, which completely ruins the feminism of it. Cakes, short skirt, long jacket is the only male fantasy I aspire to meet. Oh, uh, yes. Everything about that song. So, yes, no, I very much enjoy it. And Isabel, even by the end of this section, is just very fucking competent yeah yeah and i just i like writing women who are good at things i know it's very easy to go i'm subverting tropes so there's no damsel in distress and no one's brother is mentioned through this whole book yeah kelly is good at stuff because of a whole load of royal lineage which you could say is an extension of the i have brothers trope but i don't think it is no it's an extension of being brought up to expect assassination or rather know in your very bones that you are incredibly important Yes, which I enjoy. And I like that she's not... As much as I'm saying it sometimes feels like the book isn't desperate for us to like her, it does not poke fun of her for being aware of her own importance. It'd be very easy to write that character and be very snide about it and sort of have the book encouraging the reader to laugh at her behind her back. But it doesn't. It just makes her incredibly aware of her importance. Yeah. Incredibly competent. Because not being funny, she is literally in charge of the kingdom. Exactly. And And it takes joy in it and it invites you as the reader to take joy in it. And I think that's a really lovely thing. Especially considering this is only the fourth book and like I said, the first couple weren't always great with the women. Okay, so this one... Did you get this reference? Because I had to Google this. Uh, I did have to Google it and I nearly used it as my obscure reference and didn't. So I'm glad I didn't because you... Yeah, so the the Lusitania. Mm. Um, I'm assuming this is... Lusitania. Lusitania. Well, it's an English ship, so I'm going to pronounce it like a dickhead English person in Spain. That seems fair. Yeah. Um, You wonder why I accuse you of colonialism every summer. Yeah, all right, fine. (laughs) Uh, It is page 97. Out of the frying pan and into the fire that watery. He felt as if he'd been shipwrecked on the Titanic, but in the nick of time had been rescued by the Lusitania. So, for those who, like me, don't know, the Lusitania um, was a ship that was sunk three years after the Titanic sunk. Um, 
it was a ocean liner RMS Lusitania and it was sunk during the First World War as Germany was waging submarine warfare and this is generally sort of considered to be the turning point that convinced America to join World War 1 basically. Oh, okay. Um was this ship being sunk? Um because Even it wasn't theirs. Well, it was because it turned public opinion against Germany in so many places. Oh, okay, cuz like massive oh, civilian casualties. I'm assuming so, yeah. Um there was like a thousand odd people died, right? Yeah, yeah. It sank in like 18 minutes. Shit. Yeah. So, I thought it was interesting because I a, it was interesting to look it up because I hadn't heard of it before. And it was obviously a pivotal part of World War One, So maybe, like, people were just taught history better when this was written in the late 80s? Because I don't... No, like, I think, that, like, he makes a lot of references that yeah. we have to look up. Processing death, Joanna. Processing death. Yeah, this is not some big, serious, interesting thing about grief. I was just... It was really funny when all of these people think Kelly should be dead and he isn't, so that... Uh, dogs start howling and then stop a bit embarrassed and the uh, <laughs> the horses that are supposed to drag the hearse um, yeah. get very restless for no reason. Someone's ordered a lot of black crepe and feels very sad. <laughs> um, obviously everyone ignoring her as well, which is quite funny. Um, Haven't we all had days where we've accidentally ordered a mile of black crepe and been sent to our rooms to have a crying fit? The cook had to fight an overpowering urge to prepare simple banquets of cold meat. Which eventually he does. Yes. Is that part of a morning period tradition? I would assume so, yeah. Where you sort of, you don't do big feasts and roast mm. beef. It's sort of, yes, we'll have a calm, simple repast of cold meats. But and... if you don't have a bunch of cold meat, doesn't that mean you have to cook meat and let it go cold? Well, I'm assuming there probably is like constantly leftovers and things and hams and... Mm, as long as you check during the day. Yeah, not at night. But this is lunchtime. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I probably didn't really need to be in talking points, but I did really quite enjoy it. Yeah, we did seem to both of us just spread talking points and little parts indiscriminately this week. Um, the fortune telling bit. Yeah, how does one tell one's fortune on the disc or tell someone else's? Well, Carrick cards are an Yay. option, which we've met already, which are obviously a tarot card piss week. Mm -hmm. The Ching Aling, which I'm going to ignore the... I'm not educated or intelligent or awake enough to look at the ways in which it's racist that they've done the chingaling. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's obviously inspired by the, so the characters based on the tarot cards, uh, the chingaling thing with the yarrow stalks being thrown in the air, I'm assuming is based on the yi jing, which is a very real interesting thing. So obviously, please, we'll, we'll link to better information about this in the show notes than what I remember from my Eastern philosophy phase. But the idea is you have these set of stalks and you very methodically it's almost a meditative thing work your way through them and decide how to arrange them and the characters and interpretations you draw from that help you oh that sounds so like it's... a really cool mindfulness exercise yeah i mean it's an ancient philosophical practice though yeah, yeah which is probably... basically which is well, mind... all very very well done mindfulness practices isn't it yeah, yeah. thousands yeah. of years of working out how to actually do this shit yeah <laughs> Um, and yeah, and the idea is, you look, so it's not about predicting the future, it's about working out what's already in your head by creating a physical manifestation of it. I have some celery. I mean... Can I use that? To make a salad? Yes, Francine. Or as nice sofrito base for a tomato sauce, or uh, make a nice dip for it. Not I to tell my future. No. Okay. Celery is not very well known. Not a psychically... Celery. Not a psychically tuned vegetable. No, I would say... Um, yarrow, yes. Yarrow stalks, yes. Celery, no. Rhubarb? Uh, depends on the size of your ears. Leek. Only if you're Welsh. 
What are the long vegetables? Auntie. <laughs> what is yarrow? Yarrow is a type of wood. Why does it have stalks? Oh, I don't know. It was... I don't know, Francie. <laughs> or maybe it's, I think it's like a herby stalk or something. Mm. Like it's a woody herb. Can I use chives? <laughs> yes, Francine. Stand up chives. <laughs> I mean, again, I feel like in your life you can use chives for many things, Francine. Okay, but not for fortune telling. Okay. I would say generally vegetables, not a good fortune telling method. Salads, great. Fortune telling, not so much. Okay, cool. Apart from daikon, obviously. Mm-hmm. Muli radish, very psychic vegetable. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, so yeah. So I, I just I've written unatoning goose exclamation mark, which I assume is one of the cards. Uh, uh, but... No, unatoning goose was the octogram that came up when she was doing the oh, like the star chain. sign kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Illegality, the undertoning goose, which we cross-reference here. And without vertically, wisely, the cochineal emperor goes forth at tea time. At evening, the mollusk is silent among the almond blossom. Okay, so yeah, my next point. Who's Benedict and Beatrice? Uh, I'm being a wanker here. No. It's... I know, it's so unlike <laughs> me. So no, so I really hate this trope where the couple argue until they fall in love. Yeah, me too. Like, especially... It kind of works if it's over a long thing. I'm watching New Girl at the moment, which I'm aware is really bad, but I have loads of writing. I fucking love New Girl. Well, no, but I mean, it's like, it's an average sitcom. It's not like a good show. Um, I would say it's not quite as good as sitcoms. I like like it. Zoe and Nick's first kiss is like the... Yeah, that's about where I am right now. Best culmination of tension for ages. But, But this is them like arguing for a season and a half and then they kiss. Yeah. And... The show has already done that storyline with another couple, and I'm only on season two. Yeah, uh, but I like it. If if it's drawn out, I'm I'm a sucker for romantic tension. I hate general suspense and tension. But I love, romantic like tension. I'm I love way romantic more into tension. Than... It works better in something like that where it's drawn out, but I really hate yeah. it in something like this yeah, where you have a couple, yeah, yeah. they argue, then they yeah. get together. However, this particular argument that I was referencing, which is in this section where they're going for a walk in the garden and they start. Um, he says he doesn't want to marry her and she said, oh, I wouldn't marry for the last man on earth and they just very politely insult each other. Yeah, I mean, it's quite good natured. It's really sweet. It reminded me, Benedict and Beatrice, which is why I put in the note, is uh, they're a couple from Much Ado About Nothing. Ah. But very specifically, in the movie version with Keanu Reeves, uh, directed by Kenneth Branagh, Kenneth Branagh also plays Benedict and Emma Thompson plays Beatrice and it's while they were still married. And they have amazing on-screen chemistry. And they are this couple that have these constant bitchy arguments until they get together. Um, I put one of my favourite exchanges, which is Beatrice says, I wonder that you should still be talking, Signor Benedict. Nobody marks you. And he says, what, my dear lady disdain? Are you yet living? (laughs) And they're just constant dicks to each other. And that, obviously it's not an iambic pentameter, but that just... Very good naturedly insulting each other and then Can we going, put it in iambic pentameter? Are you sure it's not an iambic pentameter? Uh, at least I walk as if my legs only had one. No, it's not. As if I walk as if my. As if. At least I walk as if my legs only had one knee each. Only had one knee each. Yeah, yeah no, it doesn't False. quite work. Um, my hair, I put it to you, doesn't look like something you clean. Yeah, no, you cannot. That's not iambic pentameter. I'm having to write a play on iambic pentameter at the moment and it's exhausting. Do you have to? Or do you choose to? 
I mean, like we've already advertised that the play is happening, and I've you only have to. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. I haven't finished writing it yet, and it's in like a month. Yeah, because sometimes you'll say things to me like, "I have to write thirty plays in thirty days." It was twenty-eight plays in twenty-eight days, which is far more reasonable commitment <laughs> to make when you have three jobs. <laughs> All right. I yeah. like this new whispering into the <laughs> microphone thing. It's really creepy because it's feel... like you're whispering in my ear. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you're talking about me behind my back to the listeners, but also it's really it's directly like really in my unkind ear. ASMR. <laughs> Allow me to insult you in a tingly manner. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Francine. There are people who will pay for that. <laughs> Please get in touch. <laughs> it's like asmr bdsm i'd like to pay off my credit card. <laughs> okay asmr bdsm must be a thing listeners please do not tweet us links speak for thine self <laughs> anyway i maintain that writing 28 plays in 28 days was a totally reasonable thing to do and at but least not something you had to do can we at least admit that okay i didn't have to do it but i did do but it you and did it was amazing it. and it broke me and i'll never do it again um, right. Sorry, we've uh, fucking tangents. <laughs> Francine, would you like to talk about romantic suicide? No, I wouldn't. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Which is also the name of my emo band from when I was 13. <laughs> I'm joking. It wasn't. It was called Antipathy. Yeah, well, actually, this does tie in perfectly with angsty fucking teens because it's like oh, a, a repeating teenagers. theme through this section of the book. Which is uh, Isabel going on about how all these romantic, unrequited love, long one of them, teenagers they're all Romeo killed and Juliet themselves. Stories. Yeah, exactly so. And then somebody else mentions Queen Aziriel, who sat on a snake. Uh, I assume that's a reference to Cleopatra. Yeah. Everyone's talking about how, you know, killing yourself for love, so very romantic, et cetera, et cetera, except there's always someone there saying, well, no, it's not you're dead after yeah um and i i like it i like that that's a repeating theme throughout because it's a very teenage and fucking stupid thing to romanticize suicide uh over love yeah um and it was briefly a trend in music like not long after teenagers became a thing really of like tragic teenage deaths and not suicide so much as um just the romanticising of death and therefore one partner being left behind. And the... and also the idea of the, the one who dies young has sort of stayed young forever and all that stupid. Exactly. So, yeah, the kind of shit you really buy into when you're 16, you know? God, yeah. Um, and Teenagers that seems so incredibly stupid now when I know I'm going to be immortal. Um, I remember being broken up with once at a teenager and I genuinely just thought I would die. I, I could not understand how I would survive it. I thought I would die of the pain. Yeah. yeah. And like, I remember breaking up with my first boyfriend and it was like, we got back together, but the first breakup was like a mutual one. Yeah. And I got home and I was crying in the living room with my mom and Becky and just going, it hurts. It literally hurt. Like it hurts yeah. inside me, like in just absolute shock. Like I had <laughs> other brain breakups that were as painful since like after that, but yeah. for different reasons. And for obviously I haven't had a breakup for quite a while now. Um, but it's, it's, it's easy to take the piss, but it seems so real. It was so, it was so insanely intense. 
like the the fucking emotions you feel at that age and it really it being reminded of all this stuff really does make me double down on hating dudes who chase teenagers when they're proper adults because yeah the you're just like you literally you don't feel that intensely anymore no you don't sorry it sounds like a shit thing to say like when you are in a a marriage and like an objectively far better and stronger and much deeper kind of love but, but it doesn't not... fit like if god forbid jack and i ever broke up i would be devastated and i would have to rebuild my life and it would be awful truly awful but i still but don't i think would it survive would... yeah like <laughs> and you know that and you're very yeah. confident i don't think it would ever feel as bad as that first breakup when you're yeah. 14 yeah because that's such an intense Fucking hormones, Physical huh? breaking. And yeah, and it's because it's hormones and it's teenagers. Yeah. And yes, adult men who chase teenagers are scum. Hmm. Scum. <laughs> You're scum. Okay, again, like <laughs> God, people are going to get off on that front thing. I'm just saying. They're scum too. <laughs> <laughs> All scum. Am I yucking yums? <laughs> I feel like in the case of grown men chasing teenagers, that's a yum we can yuck. In fact, that's I, not feel, a I feel like a nonsense poem coming on here. Scum, scum, yucking okay, yums. <laughs> okay, we'll workshop this when we finish the podcast mm-hmm. front soon. Sorry, oh, we're going to finish one day. Yeah, well, do you think? Do you believe so? We're rounding the bend. History unravels gently like an old sweater. It has been patched and darned many times, re-knitted to suit different people, shoved in a box under the sink of censorship to be cut up for the dusters of propaganda, and it always eventually manages to spring back into its old familiar shape. And obviously this is like in the context of the book. This yeah. is talking about the fact that the, the rest of the world is going on as if Kelly has died and eventually it's going to spring back and she yeah. will stop being there even though Mort saved her. But I, there's a more general point about what history is and yeah. how it's cut up and put to one side and the whole idea of it's written by the victors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got into this a bit looking at more of Australian history recently. Like we talked last week about the fact that there are literally verbal histories passed down that can be traced back for huge geological shifts of australia which is fucking mental which is insane and that culture has been somewhat eradicated destroyed and generally fucked by colonial genocide yes. you can say it it's colonial genocide <laughs> <laughs> sorry what the fuck <laughs> somewhat fucked by colonial genocide yes that's mm. the one um but we're not taught that when we're taught about the colonization of australia at school we're taught about how it was an empty island we dumped convicts on. Yeah. And, but, 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 yeah, but the overarching point being in 500 years, what history is going to be is that they got genocided by the shitty colonial British. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I liked one of the quotes within that portion, mm. uh, which was, people don't alter history any more than birds alter the sky, which I find simultaneously comforting and very disheartening. I like being reminded of how small I am within the larger universe. That's yeah, why I like the that's universe. what we were talking about last week, wasn't it? It's kind of putting things in perspective. Yes. In a very... In all seriousness, this is why I kind of jokingly and not so jokingly covet immortality, I think. Just the idea of being such a fleeting non-entity is in history terrifying, is... terrifying, but also at the same time quite comforting. Yeah. Or I find it quite comforting. It's quite comforting in that occasionally i really can remember that all of this shit is not so not, fleeting and not important it's a this too shall pass yeah and when i say all of this shit i mean all of my petty worries not not the 
various ills in the world because there are some terrible things going on. But frankly, I'm not experiencing very many of them. I do find it really interesting as well, like watching, because obviously we're going through such a weird thing at the moment with literal global pandemic. Mm. And I'm Literal what, global pandemic. Fi- what's happening to financial systems, uh, the fact that it's happening during the run up to a huge election in America. Bitcoin, you will be shocked to learn, has crashed again. Really? That's so not like Bitcoin. Mm. It's usually so Stable. resilient. But watching the way the entire financial systems are starting to crash down both mm. in and watching it happen in tiny things like in my workplace and how it's usually affecting us but watching what's happening on a national scale it's like i'm this feels more than anything like it's, i'm witnessing history in a way things like say brexit or trump being elected mm. felt very distant this is so immediate and it's we were compass and just about in the workforce when the last global recession hit but mm. i was definitely not as economically and politically aware at the time no from my perspective all i knew was my boyfriend and his dad lost their jobs in the construction company and like bad things were happening but what what's the footsie one yeah (laughs) whereas now it's like we're both quite aware of it it's really terrifying to watch but i also just think about how this will be taught in 50 years if it will if indeed it will well there's so much primary evidence now um Depending on how long we think things that are put on the internet will last and if they will survive 50 years. Well, it's not so much that as in, will it even seem significant? Well, yes. What other horrific things will have happened in 50 years? I like to think this will be significant enough that it will be taught. Um, It will be the first time it really happened on this scale and we knew it was coming and we didn't prepare for it. Yeah. So, Which is really fun being in a country that's like kind of doing nothing right mm. now. Except me, I've got a cupboard full of microwavable porridge, so fuck you, virus. I've got quite a lot of flour. And I think I have some lentip left. Oh, good. I need to buy eggs. We need to get a chicken, that's what we need. We need chickens, we need to start a little good life enclave bunker. Yeah, but I'm scared of chickens. You're scared of chickens? They're really freaky. Nasty. Well, yeah, they are creepy, but... Okay, I'm not like scared, scared of chickens, but like I don't want chickens. I want to live next to someone who has chickens so they can like bring me eggs, but I don't have to experience the chickens. I'm just not sure how cheesy we can be about real estate come the apocalypse. Fine, okay, but I'd rather have goats. I know they don't lay eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet they don't, but after the radiation hits. (laughs) Yay, we will all go together. Sorry. Um, So yeah, so I thought I liked the writing on the nature of history. The longing for a state of mind. I'm longing oh, for a Oh, fuck me, I've gone cheerful throughout, haven't I? I was actually in a good mood when I wrote these notes, which is probably why I thought I'd be fine to talk about them all. But that's, uh... <laughs> I'm longing for a state of mind at the moment, but that state of mind is uh, full of eggs. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm quite hungry, Francis. Yes. Mort had never really felt homesick, possibly because his mind had been too occupied with other things. But he felt it now for the first time, a sort of longing, not just for a place, but for a state of mind, for being just an ordinary human being, sorry, for being just an ordinary human being with straightforward things to worry about. Um, but yeah, whereas I've never actually taken on an apprenticeship with an anthropomorphic personification of death, I am very familiar with the nostalgia for a state of mind and a nostalgia for how I used to feel in certain situations rather than the place or even the people themselves. Uh, And that's 
as something I've talked about before when I talk about just being able to live through fantasy um, yeah. and in make-believe games and uh, probably something I've mentioned on the podcast about um, I miss that kind of thing when, like, I used to drink in pubs and have excellent nights sometimes. Yeah. And, and it's not that you miss being in the pub, it's not that you miss drinking, but you miss that particular mindset you would be in on the those The feeling you get on the second drink. Yeah. Possibly third, depending on how bad the day had been. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and I miss... I like, more... I miss being a teenager, like we were just talking about, and having those kind of intense emotions sometimes. Yeah, and... <laughs> as much as the heartbreak was, the pe- like, the lows were so low, the highs were so epic, when something would happen and you would scream and giggle and not be able to stop for literal hours. Like these fucking Georgia Nicholson books we keep referencing because we're just rediscovering a tiny hint of that pride joy but <laughs> the, yeah the teenage girl ridiculous laughter with tears rolling down your cheeks and... and where you cannot stop and like just one of you will say one little word as you start to come down and it yeah. goes again and again and again and occasionally you get that like when you get older but it's never quite the same and it's replaced with other good things yeah it's, it's the not... thing like i don't want to really fucking depress any young listeners here because you know what you get instead is a kind of confidence in yourself uh you lose the horror that is the hyper awareness of your presence uh you kind of yeah i mean as much as we're being very reminiscent about being teenagers here like i would it was shit and we were shit at it yeah i wouldn't go back to that (laughs) for the fucking world no i mean maybe a holiday if you could holiday in times of your life uh i think perhaps i'd spend a week here and there in the places i'm talking about um so yeah that's uh that's my Oh no, my last one was, uh, probably should have been a little bit I liked again really, but all the biographies going all the way back to the ancient oh, Ogunzog ones really tickled my fancy. You know how much I love the unknowable ancient history stuff? Yes. Oh, what would you give for a few days in that library? I couldn't cope with being in that library for a few days because the scribbling noise would freak me out. With some noise cancelling headphones. Oh yeah, then no like anything. <laughs> At least, at least a foot. Yeah. I'm not really using my feet. <laughs> yes, you are. Not right now. I'm sat down. <laughs> That's future me's problem. Fuck yeah. that guy. <laughs> I'm quite good on crutches. I literally, last now. night, as I chucked my laundry from the bed to the floor, went, suck it, future me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is now me. So, <laughs> oh, <you're>... god damn it. <laughs> Fuck you. See, past me, bought lots of nice food for various reasons and put leftovers in the fridge thinking, oh, I'll have leftovers. And now... Past you was being a bro. Yeah. Present me, forgot to eat solid food at home for a while because I was really busy and now I have to bin a bunch of food that's in my fridge. Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just being super disorganized. Yeah, but that make it like less sucky. No, it does suck. I've got to bin a lot of food. Oh. I hate... And I don't like waste. No, me neither. No. And mm. you clear out the veg drawer as well. I hate clearing out ew, the veg drawer. Ew, ew, water. Ew. Yeah, maybe you can tell your fortune as you do it though I don't think there's anything meditatively remove the soggy celery (laughs) there's no celery in my fucking I don't buy celery obscure references yes would you like to round us out with an obscure reference finial before Mm. I go and eat all the eggs eggs are a state of mind (laughs) I am the egg man cuckoo cuckoo thank you Francie so do do you know what a state beer is no this is beer spelt with an I. With an I. Not with two E's. Not with two E's. Excellent. Uh, a beer, B-I-E-R, mm-hmm. uh, which is mentioned when I think they get it out after Kelly does not die. Right. It's part of this whole uh, processing the death and 
I'm oh, a yeah. bit confused as they go. Uh, so I wasn't sure what a state beer was. It is uh, a stand to place a corpse or a coffin upon uh, so that the deceased can lie in state. Ah. And lying in state, I also had to check what the definition was. And I would have got it wrong because I thought that was just kind of like anyone in an open casket no, would lying be in lying in state. You no, know, lying in state is something to do with like monarchy, but that's all I really know. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's it's yeah mainly monarchy, but also now in a more Republican world, they're sometimes high ranking political officials. officials. Uh, although I say that actually, I think in the UK, the tradition of it being monarchy doesn't go back very far. Um, but anyway, they are placed in a state building uh, so that the public can come and pay their respects. Yeah. In the UK, it's Westminster Hall. Right. And we use a type of beer called a cata folk, maybe, uh, which is movable on wheels. Oh, my God. I know. Uh, Voltaire's catafalque, by the way, I'm just going to bring everything around full circle here, uh, was used to move his remains to the Pantheon 13 years after his death. Ah. Mm. And it was, uh, I've actually printed a picture for you, like an old person. Uh, it was an ornate three-tin masterpiece. Look it. That's incredible, and that's exactly what I want to be wheeled into the place in on my funeral. I hoped you'd say that, because I've built you one. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you get a catafalque. You, you get, get a catafalque. <laughs> Listener, um, look under your chair if there's one there. you what the fuck? <laughs> but also well done. I worked hard on this. <laughs> Jesus, Francine. <laughs> You're going to terrify the poor loves. Sorry, dear little listeners. On your anyway, dear I just legs. thought that was so fucking extra. And, and compared to like picture. the American one, which is the Lincoln catafalque, which was built pretty hastily after Lincoln. You know, yeah. You know. Had a bit of the old. You know, yeah. <clears throat> Shot at a theatre. Oh, I thought you were going to come up with a pretty good innuendo. <laughs> It was, but it all sounded you know, too the sexual. Old, uh, the, old shot, the old shot in the dark, uh, the old uh, early curtain call. The uh, oh no, no it's all terribly disturbing. Anyway, it was hastily built and is uh, pretty plain and black and still used now because tradition. But excellent. I thought it was quite nice. That yes, France and Voltaire just had this ridiculous contraption of three tiers. Yeah. That's marvellous. We will tweet that picture, dear listeners. I'm not quite sure why Voltaire was moved 30 years after his death. I didn't get that far. Um, right, well, I think with that we've sort of, kind of come to the end, really, haven't we? Have we? Which is probably for the best. Is this it? Is this it? Did we do it? Did we finish? I think... Did I we th- get through it all? I think we have done. I feel like we should stop making the listeners feel like we hate this so much because we have actually had quite a nice time, haven't we, Francine? We have, actually. Um, We're just very tired. There is. There are very few people on this earth, Joanna, that I'd rather be sat opposite while in this kind of terrible mood. Excellent. Very few, actually. So uh, with that, darlings, dear listeners, who aren't darlings. irritating twats at all. No, I'm sure you're all very nice. Apart from that one, you know who you are. Scum. <laughs> Jesus, Rods. Okay, no. We love you all. We love you all. We love you all deeply. I promise they'll stop using that new trick next week. No, you fucking won't. I might. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm whispering in my own ear as well, so it's not like I'm not suffering. It's just I'm choosing to go through it to upset you, which, what does that say about me? I don't know. Am I allowed to do an outro now? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Do you promise not to whisper the word scum while I do an outro? Yes. 
Yes, oh, I do promise thank you, that. Francine. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to The Truth Shall Make You Fret. Okay, so that was part two of our discussion of Mort. Uh, next week, we will be discussing from where we've ended, which, as I said, is death sickening for something, right through to the end of the book, which is at the end where it says the end. If you hit the blurb, you've gone too far. <laughs> yes. If, if the book is closed, you've overdone it. In the meantime... Uh, thank you so much for listening to The True Shall Make You Fret. You can follow us on the internet. We are on Instagram at The True Shall Make You Fret. We're on Facebook, The True Shall Make You Fret. Uh, we're on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod. You can email us, The True Shall Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com and send us your thoughts and opinions and albatrosses and snacks and castles and things. Please rate and review wherever you get your podcast because it helps other people find us and do subscribe and to this. And it soothes our ego. And we also would like our egos. I soothed. like praise. Thank you very much. Words of affirmation is my love language. I mean, my love language is mostly snacks. I think that's the sixth one. What is it? It's, cool. it's um, acts of service, uh, physical touch, words of affirmation and snacks. Yeah. 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 That's, that's it. it. Yeah. Cool. Um, and on that note, dear listener. <clears throat> Don't let us detain you. <laughs> All that time. Fuck's sake. <laughs>